Amen. It's good to know that His love doesn't fail and doesn't give up on us. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Philippians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version updated. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement, and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgivings, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to praise you, to glorify you, to share in fellowship here in your church as we sing praises to your name and hear your word. We ask, Lord, right now that you will be with us, that you'll speak to us through this word. Help us to receive what you have for us in this word this morning and speak to our need of you. We just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Disagreements will happen. Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of stuff that we don't agree with other people with? You know, if you ask 20 people, what color do you want the carpet, red, blue, green, orange, you know, that you'll get 20 different answers. Because we all have different opinions and different points of views and backgrounds and experiences. So it's inevitable that we will have disagreements with people. It'll happen. Paul knew that this was true. He knew that even within the church, people would disagree on things that they would look at things from different points of view. He himself had plenty of disagreements with people, right? Remember that Paul would go into a town, he would go into the synagogue and try to share with them that Jesus was the Messiah, and nine times out of ten, they disagreed with him. Sometimes they ran him out of town. At other times, they tried to stone him. That's pretty severe disagreement, if you ask me. And he went through all that. He knew that disagreement happens. He had people that disagreed with him throughout his ministry, even within the church. And it's at the same time, 
Paul understood the importance of having unity within the body of Christ when people became believers in Jesus Christ. He understood the importance of us being one in Jesus and that that unity needed to go beyond our disagreements. He remembered that Jesus prayed for this for his disciples in John chapter 17, verses 22 to 23. Jesus prayed this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for unity among Christians. He prayed for unity among his followers. As Paul writes to the Philippians, though, he knows that there's a problem in the church of Philippi. Two women, two co-workers in the gospel are arguing with each other. Here's two names for your great-grandchildren, Iodia and Syntyche. Put that one in your list of names for the baby. These two women are arguing with each other. It's important to understand that both of these women are part of the church. They were part of the Philippian church. They were apparently leaders within the church. The church of Philippi, if you remember uh, back in Acts, when we're told about how it began, it began because Paul went there and he went to a place outside of town that was called the place of prayer. And there he met a woman, Lydia. And she became a Christian. And her whole family became a Christian. And she invited Paul into her home. And from there, the church of Philippi was born. And so women in the church of Philippi had a great importance in leadership. Philippi was a commercial city, and in this city, some women had trades and commerce dealings that gave them a statute that they didn't have in other cities. And as proven by Lydia, some of them were quite, doing quite well for themselves. She was selling purple dye, and it was rare and fancy and expensive. And so these two women that are arguing with each other were leaders, were co-workers with Paul and the others in, in building up the church. And now they're arguing with each other. And you know, the scripture doesn't tell us what they were arguing about. We don't know if it was the carpet. We don't know if it was the, the seating. We don't know what they were arguing about. What we do know is that the argument was serious enough that Paul sitting in jail heard about it. Now, if you're arguing with somebody to the point that it gets back to Paul in jail, it's got to be pretty serious. Think about it. Somebody had to go to Paul and say, oh, you won't believe what these two are doing. They're arguing with each other. It's causing all kinds of problems. And so he has heard about it, and he writes to the church, and he invites both women to be of the same mind in the Lord. He invites the church even to help them to reconcile with each other because he understands that a rift among brothers and sisters in Christ 
can become a rift in the body of Christ to the point that it affects the ministry and the witness of the church. We learned last week that whenever we move towards the Lord, we move closer to each other, not because one of us is right and the other one is wrong, but because we're going towards Jesus. And that should be our center. Paul is writing to the church and saying, these two women need to just have the mind of Christ and come together. Notice that Paul is very smart. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't take, say, one of you is right, the other one is wrong. He doesn't say, you know, you need to apologize to her or you need to apologize to her. He basically says, both of you need to cool it and get along with each other because you're sisters in Christ. You're leaders in the church. You have a bigger purpose. I'm just thankful they didn't have social media back then. Can you imagine the social posts from one side to the other? Ooh, you wouldn't believe what Eodius said about Sintike. Ooh. I mean, there would be all kinds of slander, right? Because we do that. We, we just get vicious in social media. From this scripture, we learn that being of the same mind as the Lord is always the most important thing in our walk. That it's not about us seeking to be right all the time or having the upper hand, but that it's essential that we understand that following Jesus and being like Jesus is really what it's all about. We need to learn to love like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus, to be humble like Jesus, to show grace like Jesus, and to have patience like Jesus, and ultimately to be obedient like Jesus. Jesus was obedient unto death. You just can't go wrong with trying to be like Jesus. You really can't go wrong if you're following his example. These women were co-laborers, and Paul even claims that their names are written in the book of life. So these are not outsiders. These are insiders. These are people that have known salvation in Christ. And he knows that they need to get back together. Paul then moves to some general encouragement and exhortation for the church. Paul always wrote to the churches, and he always had things to correct with them, things that you need to do better, things that you need to stop doing. But he always had words of encouragement because one of his goals with the letters was to build up the church, to encourage them to continue to do the work of the kingdom. And so he writes to them some words of encouragement and exhortation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, it's easy to say rejoice in the Lord always when everything's going well, but we have to remember Paul is sitting in a prison cell. When it comes from somebody who's sitting in the, in the prison cell and doesn't know if he's going to get out or if he's going to live, if they're going to kill him tomorrow or if he's going to be here next week, when it comes from somebody like that, it means a little more. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not when things are going well, not just when things are going your way, not when you're getting what you want. Always rejoice in the Lord, always. If Paul can find joy in the Lord in prison, I think we can find joy in our everyday in the Lord. It just points to us that, hey, 
our joy does not depend on our circumstances. Our joy depends on the Lord. So if we have the Lord, we can have joy. We can have joy in knowing that he's forgiven us and given us eternal life. We can have joy in knowing that he is with us no matter what difficulty we're facing. We can have joy in knowing that he has a future laid out for us. Then Paul goes on to tell them that their gentleness should be known to everyone. So I looked up gentleness. Gentleness is the quality of being kind and tender and mild-mannered. It is quite the opposite of somebody who flies off the handle at the first word. Sometimes we have to be careful with how we react to things. Strong reactions can be taken as hostile. They can be taken as anger and rage. Think how much Jesus went through and how he was able to not say a harsh word to those who hurt him, who put him on a cross, who beat him. I don't know about you, but if I was being beat, it'd be hard for me to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> it would be tough. Jesus put up with people nailing him to a cross and was still humble and mild. And sometimes we don't learn from that and we just react and judge and jump to conclusions and jump up and down at things instead of having that humbleness and mildness that Jesus did. This is hard for us because nowadays, I mean, you post something on social media, for example, and 20 people jump on you about whatever you posted. No, it doesn't matter what it was. You might just say that ham sandwiches are the best and somebody will come in there and argue with you about that. They will be, jump right on you, and before you know it, you're getting hate speech because you, you're hating on hot dogs because you like ham sandwiches. I mean, it gets to that point. And so Paul is trying to address the fact that people will know us by how we respond and how we act and how we behave. That part of our Christian witness and testimony is the way we handle disagreements with others. That we need to be kind and mild that we need to be fair and honest. You know, Paul had his disagreements. And when he disagreed with people, he simply took them back to the word of God. Back then, what they had was the Old Testament. And so what did Paul do when you disagreed with him about who Jesus was? He brought you to Isaiah. He brought you to Jeremiah. He brought you to the prophets and he showed you how Jesus was indeed the Messiah of the world by showing you that it was already there in Scripture. He didn't try to make it personal, but he knew that most of his Jewish audience would understand the Old Testament Scripture. When he talked to the Gentiles, he tried to find common ground by talking to them about the God that they yet had to meet, that they didn't know about. The God who had made everything, all of creation, Paul always found a way when somebody disagreed with him to find some way to connect with them, to meet them where they were. Paul didn't want people to just dis ignore their disagreements. He simply wanted them to handle them 
in a way that didn't hurt their witness and their testimony to others. He reminds them that the Lord is near. And whenever I hear that, you know, the Lord is near, it reminds me of when people used to tell me, you know, if there's something that you're about to do and you wouldn't do it in front of your mother, don't do it at all. If it would be embarrassing because you're, if your mother was watching, then don't do it at all because you probably shouldn't. <laughs> and when he says the Lord is near, it made me think about the fact that if we stopped every time we were going to do something and asked ourselves, is this something that's going to honor God? Is this something that's going to bring glory to God? Is this something that Jesus would do? And if the answer is no, we would stop. It would immediately change our behavior. It would immediately change the way we handle things. Paul is saying the Lord is near. Remember that you are his and he is yours. And you have to honor him in your life. And he's always watching. There's no place you can go to hide from the Lord. You can't just go, okay, well, I'm going to do this because the Lord's not looking. I got news for you. He sees all. He knows all. He can see what you're doing. Paul then encourages the church not to be anxious about anything. Again, coming from a guy who's in jail, doesn't know he's going to live or die. He tells the church, don't be anxious about anything. How difficult it must have been for him to say that when he doesn't know what tomorrow holds for him. How difficult it must have been for him to affirm that, not knowing if tomorrow they would kill him. Not knowing if he was ever going to be released from prison not knowing what would happen with the churches because he couldn't go back to them to check on them. And he could only communicate through letters. You know, when I, when I read this letter, this is the one line that I have the most difficulty with. Don't be anxious about anything. I don't know about you, but I want to say, but, 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 I got about a list of about 10 things that should make the anxious list. There's some things that I should worry about, that I should be concerned about. But he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your church. Don't be anxious about your business. Don't be anxious about your family. Easier said than done. This is hard to do. It's hard to let things go before the Lord, isn't it? How many of us bring it to the Lord? Say, Lord, I'm anxious about this. Take it. And then we put it on our backs and we take it back home because we're not done with it yet. We do that all the time. So I really have a problem with this. When he says, don't be anxious about anything, we worry about the future. We worry and get nervous and uneasy about what will happen. When you look up anxiety, it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It's when you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Anyone experienced that lately? 
little bit? Am I the only one? Just me. <laughs> this affiliation ring a bell. Israel ring a bell. Your own health ring a bell. Your family ring a bell. Your finances ring a bell. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't know about you, but we all have these things that cause us worry and concern and care. And how do we deal with those things? Well, that depends on your personality, right? I'm a thinker, so I drive myself nuts. Because I don't know about you, but when you're a thinker, you begin to go into all the scenarios that could possibly be, and you usually start with the worst possible scenario and work your way up to the better one, hoping to cheer yourself up about what could happen, right? You're like, oh, this is the worst, and I'm going to work my way up to the best so that hopefully by the end of it, I'm hoping for the best and not worried about the worst. And what it actually does is it causes even more anxiety as you go through it. So what does Paul suggest? Because that's not how Paul says to deal with it. He says, when faced with anxiety, bring everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving before the Lord, making your requests known to God. Make it known to God. Tell him. Share with him. In another scripture, it says, cast your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares about you. You know, sometimes we think that God only cares about the big things, but the reality is that God cares about the totality of our lives. If it's important to you, God cares about it. If it's in your life, God cares about it. Paul doesn't say that the anxiety will be resolved, that your situation will go away. He doesn't say that you'll have everything figured out after you turn it over to the Lord. Instead, he basically builds on what he's already told us. The Lord is near. And if he is near, then you can talk to him about your situation. You can tell him how you're feeling. You can share with him your concern and your care. And you can lay it on his shoulders. You can trust that he will take it. The method of sharing our request with the Lord is also important. He says, by prayer and supplication, but there's an attitude involved, an attitude of thanksgiving. When we come before the Lord in prayer and supplication, it's not to complain. It's not to go before the Lord and go, woe is me, look at all the trouble I'm having. It's to say, Lord... I am thankful because I know that I'm not alone in this situation. I'm thankful because you're with me. I'm thankful because I can look back and I can see what you've already done in my life. And because I can see what has happened with you and me in the past, I can be confident about the future. Because you're with me, you're near, you're not far off. It helps us to know that God is with us. Thanksgiving brings us back to counting our blessings instead of our problems. When you have to be in an attitude of thanksgiving, 
then you can't go with a complaining and griping attitude. You got to go with a humble attitude that acknowledges that you already have the most important thing in your life, salvation in Jesus Christ. That you already have Jesus and that anything else you get is really a bonus because God has already given you the most important thing. God wants to hear your request. He wants you to bring it to him. All the concern, all the anxiety, all the worry, all the cares. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And he says that as somebody in prison who doesn't know if he'll live or die. I think we can do it too. If we're able to cast our anxieties on the Lord, there's something that happens in us. Paul says that we get the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And you know, it's hard to explain, I was trying to explain to the children the, that idea of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It, it's a peace that comes despite our circumstance. It's a peace that comes despite things still being the same at the moment. It's a peace that comes with knowing that God is with us and we're not alone. And that peace allows us, even in the middle of the most difficult circumstances, to remain steadfast and stand firm in the Lord. That's what the peace that passes all understanding is about. And Paul says, if you have that peace, it'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when anxiety hits, I need protection in my heart and in my mind. Because I don't know about you, but I like to go down the rabbit hole of what ifs. Do you know that there's an incalculable amount of what ifs? You could play out scenarios in your mind until you drive yourself back crazy. And it won't do any good, will it? All it'll do is it'll add to your stress and your worry and your anxiety. In the world's view, we should be losing our mind sometimes through, with the things that we have to face in life. But that's when we claim the peace that passes all understanding and the assurance that God is with us. And God's peace guards our hearts and our minds. I have to admit that there are days when this is harder than others. You know, there are days when anxiety comes and really hits you hard. And the problem is that all those scenarios start playing in your mind and you go from worse to worse to worse, down, down, down. And it is at that moment that we have to remind ourselves to cast our anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for us. The good news is, he already knows about it. You're not telling the Lord anything new. He's in your past, he's in your present, and he's in your future. We're really doing it for us when we share with the Lord to learn to lay our load on him. 
towards the end of this scripture, Paul finally says to the Philippians, stick to the truth. Stick to what is honorable. Stick to that which really matters. What is pure, pleasing, commendable to anything that is worthy of praise and excellence. Stick to that. Think about that. You know, what you focus on and what you think about affects your mood and affects your anxiety. If all you do is consider your problems and count your problems instead of your blessings, then you're always going to be in despair. Learn to count your blessings and to focus on that which the Lord has already done. And it'll help you to forecast blessings into the future. The best way to counter anxiety is to dwell on the promises of the Lord and to remember everything that he has told you in Scripture. You know, when the Lord says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, he means it. He means it. You will never be alone. So when things get uncertain, we need to remember what Paul has encouraged us to do in this scripture. Rejoice in the Lord. Cast on him your anxieties. Continue to persevere in that which is good and honorable, worthy of praise and of excellence. Continue to abide in the word of God and the peace of God will be with you. Paul says, and by the way, everything I've taught you, go do it. You know, I love that. Just go do it. You know, just do it like the logo. Just do it. Just go do it. You know, it's good to know it, but if you don't go do it, it won't do you any good. Go do it. Go obey everything I have taught you about the Lord. Go share the gospel. Go continue to be a witness. Go continue to be a presence for, for Jesus. Go continue to be there for your neighbor. At the end of the day, we need to know that we have been sent by God to be his representatives in the world and that Jesus is with us. I pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding will be with you that whenever anxiety comes, you will remind yourself of his promises and you'll know that he is with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, because I know we all face anxiety and worry and concern and care for the future. We thank you, Lord, that you already know our future. We thank you that you're already there working for our good. We ask that you will help us to just trust you, to trust you with everything in our lives, to really share with you and let go of things that you are working on in our lives, that, that we will know that you have a plan. We put our church, we put our family, we put our health, we put our finances, we put our children in your hands. And we trust you, Lord. We trust your promises. We trust your word. And we trust Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is going to be open as we continue worship. If there's something that is eating you up, that is causing anxiety in your life, I invite you to the altar just to tell, tell the Lord about it, to put it before the Lord. He wants you to share. He wants you to leave it there. He wants you to trust him in it.
So the altar is open as we continue to worship. If there's something causing you anxiety today, don't leave with it. Bring it before the Lord.